name is Tom Chicks. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games Podcast, where we talk to the people who make the forum what it is about the things that matter to them. Today we have with us a fellow named Brian Anderson. You would not know him by that name, though. Brian, you go on the forum by Nixon66. So I'm going to make a, a guess for why that is. Are you ready? Bring it on. You were born in 1966, and you're a huge Richard Milhouse fan. Am I close? No. <laughs> All right, well. That's okay. <laughs> then I got nothing. Why are you Nixon 66 on the... Um, the Nixon was a, a weird high school nickname. Some some friends of mine, they just thought I looked like a young Nixon. That's I a terrible thing to tell you. But uh, it stuck. And um, the 66 came from, you know, you, you register on a place and your, your first choice isn't available, so you start adding numbers to your name, and 66 was the one that the site suggested, so it stuck that way. All right. It's actually born in 78, so. Now, do you look like Richard Nixon? Not at all. <laughs> That's the most random nickname to give a kid. I can imagine, though, I can imagine it probably bothered you. That's a terrible nickname. Uh, it wasn't too bad. I mean, you know, it, it could have been worse, I suppose. How? Come on. What what president is possibly uglier than Nixon? That's true. That's true. But, I mean, <laughs> it always gives me a good uh, fantasy football team name or something. I'm always the Water Gators. So, uh... <laughs> nice. Good. Uh, now, you were up there in the Washington area, but you were one of these people who was imported up there. You're not from there. You barged in from California up there to Tacoma. Uh what did you go to Tacoma for? Um, my dad moved up when I was a teenager and followed the whole family up and then just ended up sticking around up here for college and work afterwards. Now, when you say teenager, was this something that did this break into your uh, high school years? Yeah. Yeah. I moved up in the middle of high school years. So it was, uh, it was an interesting, interesting change. Now you say interesting, but I'm going to guess that sucked. Uh, I left behind a lot of good friends. Um, still good friends with uh, a lot of them, though, back down in California, so I'm down there visiting pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Now, when you show up as a high school kid in Tacoma, uh, what, what is that like? Did you make friends okay? Who, did you get to go to the prom, and who did you take? <laughs> I did end up getting to go to the prom. Uh, got to take a... Uh, the girl was one year my junior, and uh, uh-huh. <laughs> she was on the volleyball team. It worked that well. Okay. Uh, good. Okay, and now in Tacoma nowadays, uh, what do you do? Um, I work a couple couple towns away at a company that does IT reselling. I, uh, I'm their on-site Apple, Apple expert while the other people go out and sell servers and software. For everybody, uh, they come to me for their Apple questions. Does this mean that you champion Macs? It means that it is my job to champion Macs, yes. <laughs> okay, now that you're, you're not on the clock right now, how do you feel about Macs? Um, as I play with them a lot more, there's a lot of slick things about them. When I switch permanently, you know, there's too much stuff, I would say, games and, and the like that I end up needing the PC for uh, that I, could, I don't think I could ever make the full switch. Right. Uh, now, you say you, your work is a few towns away. Uh, that. That sounds like a terrible commute, is it? 
Uh, it's not bad. I mean, 20 minutes in the morning and maybe half hour, 45 minutes on the way back. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, I live in L.A. That's nothing. I'm sorry. I don't. Yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I, I thought you'd have some awesome horror story about driving an hour either way. Oh, uh, no, no. What, what do you do in your car for 20 minutes? How do you spend your commute? Uh, fancy enough, I tend to listen to the quarter to three podcasts or, uh, you know, any other podcasts I've got queued up like This American Life or something along those lines. Very nice. So the check is in the mail. Thanks for the plug. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> I spent, uh, spent the day driving home listening to, uh, you guys argue over devil. Ah, okay. Uh, Who won that argument? Podcast. So yeah. So, so way in here, does the point go to me or Dingus? I don't even, uh, I haven't reached the end of the argument yet okay. to, to see what the final arguments are. Okay. Well, I don't want to spoil it for you, Brian, but I'm going to, the point goes to me. Just so you know. uh. <laughs> now, have you seen devil? No. Well, you're doing it wrong, Brian. You got to, because we're spoiling it for you. Now you don't have to see it. <laughs> I would have never seen it anyways. Okay. I can tell you that. I haven't seen a movie by him probably, when was the last one? I think the last one I saw by him was The Village. You've done the right thing. Uh, you, and... You've missed a couple of stinkers. Yeah. Um, uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit. Before we transition to the game that you want to talk about, there's a couple of things I want to bring up. Um, first of all, I'm real excited about the game you picked. I'm really glad you picked it. I've been hoping for a while someone would pick this one. So a uh, big thumbs up for that. But before we get to that, you have a five-year-old boy. I'm looking at him right now. When, when I call you on Skype, there's a, an adorable picture of him screaming at the camera. Um, what, what is his name? His name is Ash. Ash. Oh, my God. That's, that's the cool. I wish you were my dad. That is the coolest <laughs> name ever, Brian. Ash. Now, is that a nickname or that's what it says? Like, that's what that's, it's like it's going to say. That's what it's going to say. A-S-H. Oh, that is and, so And cool. no, it, it's not after the Pokemon. Uh, it's more after the tree and uh, the Evil Dead movies, in my my opinion. That's. I had no idea. There's a Pokemon named Ash? Uh, no, the, the main character in the, uh, the Pokemon show. Ah, okay. Because <laughs> I totally, the first thing I think of is, is Evil Dead. Uh, yeah, that's what I always think of. But then I get uh, people younger than me asking, oh, do you like, really like Pokemon, man? <laughs> wow, what an awesome name. Oh, you, you're doing good. Now, Ash, um, does Ash play video games? He does. He does. He is an iPhone addict. If I'm not keeping an eye on my phone, he will be on it playing Angry Birds or Plants vs. Zombies uh, or something along those lines. Um, and then he loves playing on the Wii. Now, now Plants vs. Zombies, I guess it's, it's, that, it's got that sort of forgiving pop cap aspect. But there's some serious like strategic thinking, you know, and it's, it, it's a bona fide tower defense game. Uh, it is. How can a five-year-old handle that? Pretty well? Um, he really can only do the early levels fairly well. Um, he's starting to figure out strategy by watching me play a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when, when to plant the sunflowers and where to put plants, but, uh, he's starting to get a lot better. He likes what? playing some of the mini games more. Mm -hmm. Well, what does he like on the Wii? Uh, he's, he's fairly well stuck on Wii Sports and, and, uh. He loves just playing that all the time, but uh, I'm looking at getting him into one of the Lego Star Wars games just because uh, we've started really getting into those now. Now, would Star you... Wars is crack for kids, it seems like. Now, that's, so that's what I'm curious about. Would you go to Lego Star Wars or there's the Harry Potter Lego games? Uh, the Star Wars is the one that you would want to introduce him to? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, because he already he already likes the series, and he already loves. He's seen the the original trilogy, and we watched the Clone Wars cartoon together. So, what does he think of the original trilogy? He loves them. He what? loves them. I have not had him watch the uh, the newer ones. Yeah, that was going to be my next question: is Does he know that the newer ones stink? I don't know. <laughs> he, he's not quite sure that they even exist. I just haven't even acknowledged him. If he, even if he's found the DVDs, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that's good. Let's go watch Empire Strikes Back. Brian, I have to say you're doing some awesome dad work there. Well played. Very well played. Uh, now, what so, – so you're thinking of getting him into a Lego game. Uh, what, uh, uh, what other things does, does a five-year-old like these days? Um, like I say, he's super into Star Wars, and he loves sports. He loves sports. Okay, now you're going to lose me here, but let, tell me a bit about this. In the picture, you guys are at a Mariners game. So my understanding, the Mariners are the Tacoma curling team. Am I close? <laughs> almost, almost. Uh, we, we actually do have a Tacoma baseball team. Uh, but the Mariners are Seattle's baseball team, who mm-hmm. are currently one of the worst teams in baseball. Is that really true? Do they really suck? They really suck. Um, <laughs> and, I, and saw, I saw some stats. Basically, we are on pace to have the worst like amount of scoring for the entire season that goes back to 1977 or 1972 before someone can uh, be worse than us. That is awesome. So w- when you live in a town where your baseball team is like the worst baseball team ever, are people kind of ashamed of the team? Is it like a big joke? Uh, what's it like living in a town and being into baseball where, where it's so bad? Um, it's, it's Seattle. We're not really known except for, you know, a little bit back in the early 90s for having any sort of championship teams. So uh, we're pretty used to it. <laughs> Our teams usually suck. And I guess the, the upside of that, Brian, there's nowhere to go but up. They're, they're just going to exactly. get better with time. Yeah. Exactly, but yeah, no, we we play you know baseball and football together, and he loves watching any kind of uh, sporting event with me anytime. So now does, to does he know that the Mariners suck? Like, is he hip to the fact that he's watching a bad baseball team, or he's just into the whole activity of it? He's into the whole activity of it. You know, he's sad when they lose, but he's like, all right, maybe next time. Mm-hmm. He's got the uh, ability to bounce back quick. Like most kids do. Uh, well, hopefully he'll he'll get older and and learn to be jaded and bitter about having a, a sucky team. That, that's that's exactly. that's like a part of coming of age, I guess. Um, <laughs> now you uh you're also you and I are both playing a a game right now. This isn't the one that you've chosen to talk about. Um, but are you an RPG guy? Why on earth would you be into some old school RPG like? Etrian Odyssey 3. Um, it's pretty much the genre I play, I suppose, the most. I mean, I go all the way back to, you know, Might and Magics and Wizardry and Wasteland all back in the day. And so old school CRPGs are, are kind of my area I enjoy playing. Mm-hmm. And I got to uh, say, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, yeah, no, and then with the DS seems to just have a plethora of great old-school RPGs. 
And, and I, one of the things I really like about Etrian Odyssey is something is that whole mapping aspect. Even though it totally screwed me early on, I, I presume you're in that thread. Like I, it, it relies on you to draw the map of the dungeon. If you accidentally put a wall and then don't ever go to that point that you think you've mapped, you can be stuck forever. Uh, yeah, because you think you've already gone there and you're lost. Yeah. Uh, but I like that. Like I like that aspect, not just of of discovery and exploration, but uh, of sort of accountability. Like it's not going to automatically map for me. I have to record what I am seeing, and that's kind of a bold decision for a computer game t- to make: is to let you make mistakes and incorrectly note things and potentially screw yourself that way. I, I admire that. It's good. It's good. And then the ability to to Take it to that old level, you know, so many people commenting about uh, there's an Ultima 4 thread going on right now about, you know, their old maps that they were doing and taking the notes and everything and the ability of the game for you to put notes on your own built-up map and mark spots where where things are going on and where enemies are or where you got a treasure chest or a secret wall. It's a lot of fun and, yeah, it does take you back to having your graph paper and your notes and notes and notes for your old games. And it reminds me, at first, when I, I think Etrian Odyssey 2 might have been the first one I played, but I remember coming into it and, and regretting a little bit that it doesn't have random dungeons, sort of feeling like, oh, well, the dungeon's already pre-made, how, how much fun is that going to be? Um, because there's something about a random dungeon where you feel, in a way, like you, you've made it your own, like it's this is a dungeon no one else has seen. But that whole mapping thing, even though it's not random... Like you're saying, when you note, when you make notes uh, on the screen, you are kind of making it your own. There is this sense of this is my record of exploring something, and even though it's not random, I'm putting my own stamp on it by how I do this map. And even the fact that it's the different icons you use, like for a chest or a, a special area, like that's kind of up to you. It, it's it's letting it's giving you this little mapping toolbox to play with however you like, and that lets you put your stamp on this pre-made dungeon. I, I really admire that about it. Uh, yeah. Now, and have, then with that sense of ownership, you feel like you know the familiarity of the dungeons, and by the time you have fully mapped it, typically you have you know gained enough levels that you are the master of your you know that level. And then it's, you know, that sense of dread and exploration. You know, you go one more level down and uh, you have to remap the whole new level. And it's that whole new aspect, again, of discovery. And uh, it's a lot of fun. I like that about that game. And that actually reminds me, too, Brian, one of the things there's... Uh, bear with me for a second because this is going to sound a little weird. But there's this sense almost of a revenge story where you're in that first level or, or any level of the labyrinth uh, and you're just getting your butt kicked. You know, the creatures are, you're, you're at the very cusp of the power curve. It's really tough to get through some of the battles. Um, but you you plug away, you eventually get through, you map more of the area, you go up a few levels. And eventually, when you're going back and forth through this area, those same monsters that were really giving you a tough time, you are just slapping them down left and right. And it's kind of gratifying because instead of being an area that, you know, you've been here, you move on, you're going back through there a few times, basically getting payback for all those times you were getting your butt kicked. Uh, I, I love that revenge aspect that, that once you get to the stairs, you're not really done with this area. You don't just always start down there. Uh, you, you can go back, and, and there are locked chests, and, and I'm finding some locked doors. So it forces you to, to play through these areas where you used to get your ass kicked, even after you've sort of out-leveled those areas. Uh, I like that yeah. as well. And now, then, I, uh, 
Um, oh, I was also going to mention the, the new sea exploration mm-hmm. in the new one, which is kind of fun. Uh, something new to the, the third game. Um, I saw someone make a comment. It just offers a good break from the you know the dungeon. You feel like you're getting your ass kicked, and then you got a chance to kind of step away and and go sail the ocean a little bit. It, it's kind of back. like getting a breath of. It's like stepping out for some fresh air, almost. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Now, have you have you gotten very far with it? Or are you having a tough time? Uh, not very far yet. I just uh, what did I just pick up? I picked up a nice fishing net while I was uh, it while we I was waiting for uh, this to start, and I was playing a little bit. So now you, I should let you know because I didn't figure this out. You have to actually equip that fishing net, basically buy it before you go out on an expedition. I didn't realize that at first. Uh-huh. Uh, so I like, it kind of reminds me, Brian, almost of like uh, a spaceship game and that you kind of have to fuel up your ship and you equip it with stuff and that determines how many turns you can last at sea. I kind of like that sense of setting out on an expedition. Uh, there you go. Hey, it'll tie into uh, Star Control 2 later even. Yes, absolutely. But before we go there, so you are also, uh, you have not played World of Warcraft, that's right? Um, I have managed to avoid playing an MMO uh, since the beginning. Well, I, I will admit I did play in what was the Ultima Online beta for a couple days just before they, you know, they shut down the beta servers and released mm-hmm. it to the wild world. But beyond that, nope. Okay, so what happens, Brian, that a guy who confesses he's into RPGs who has roots back with these old-school RPGs that Etrian Odyssey recalls, what happens that you've come all this way without playing an MMO? Because I knew I'd get into it too much. Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would, it would push all the right buttons and make me just want to keep playing it. So uh, I've managed to resist the call for long enough. And uh, when free-to-play came with uh, Lord of the Rings Online, uh, I figured I'd give it a go. Now, why was that the one that you decided to try first? Was uh, it just the free-to-play? Uh, yeah, that was part of it. Um, it was it was free-to-play, and then, you know, I've been a big Lord of the Rings fan since, you know, I was little, just playing, you know, read the books long, long ago, and I and I'll read them again every couple of years, so... Let's do, real quick, you and me, let's do a, a, a one-versus-one Tolkien geek-out. Are you ready? All right, bring it on. Okay. What is the name of Tom Bombadil's wife? Uh, what is it, Goldberry? Gold oh, good Lord. Why would you know that? That's a, Okay, that might be as obscure as I can get. Now, you try to hit me with one. Um, what is uh, another name for uh, Moria? What do the dwarves call it? Oh, Ooh, ooh, oh, I like this, Brian. Um, rats, I should know this. I know that if I give up, you're going to say the answer, and I'm going to total. it's going to fire off in my brain. Oh, rats, what do they call it? Uh, oh, okay, what letter does it begin with? I'm going to, um, I need a lifeline. <laughs> it begins with a K. Kazadoom? Kaladoom? Yes. Kazadoom? Kazadoom. Oh, I got it. Okay, here's one for you. What band is named after the Silmarillion. <laughs> now, I've kind of gone out of the lore, so maybe this is unfair, but this is something no, that I only recently found um... <laughs> this, this also, Brian, could go into the category of uh, like cheesy 80s 
pop rock. And that would probably count me out on this, just because <laughs> cheesy 80s pop rock is probably a, a very missing part of my cultural landscape. Sweet. I think I've won by cheating. So there's a, there, there's a band called Marillion, uh, which is kind of like a, I think I've heard them described as like a, a Genesis light kind of. Uh, and I, I've been a huge fan wow. of Marillion ever since I was a, a dumb kid. But I only recently found out last month they're called Marillion because they were originally called Silmarillion. But when they started playing bigger gigs, they were worried that was going to get them into legal trouble. So they just shortened it to Marillion. So... Very impressive. <laughs> All right, so you I decide. to your knowledge. Thank you. It's, it, you know what? I, I, I'm kind of ashamed that I had to resort to cheesy 80s prog rock, but, but you know, I, I'll do what I can to win. That's, <laughs> uh, so describe for me uh, what it's like deciding, okay, I'm going to try an MMO and jumping into Lord of the Rings Online. Uh, it's been interesting. Uh, uh, starting to do some basic, you know, Lord of the Rings is pretty solo friendly. I picked a pretty solo friendly class in the Hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, at least it is early on at this point. I'm only up to, what, level 30, 31. Oh, no, that's some good progress. Now, real quick, let me ask you, what do you name your character? Um, I actually named him a little bit after my son, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, the name was already taken, so what did I name him? Uh, Ashtour. Okay, good. It sounded very Lord of the Rings-esque. It's much better, uh, Brian, than putting a 6-6 on the end, by the way. Just yeah. Like... <laughs> so you've gotten a hunter to 30. Uh, how are you feeling about these, this whole MMO dynamic? Because in a way, it's very much like an RPG, but of course, in another way, it's unlike an RPG. How, how is it working out for you? It's working out well. It's it's I'm... I've got to learn a little bit more about the whole grouping and doing, you know, the instance, instance uh, instances for the different dungeons. Mm-hmm. Um, and my role as a, you know, a, as a, what do they call me, a, a DPS type character. Yep. Uh, you know, a lot of the terminology is, is new. I mean, I can't imagine trying to be a, you know, a tank or a healer. I don't possess, you know, what I'm supposed to be doing in a lot of these frantic situations where everything is just kind of going on. I'm just trying to target people and take them out. And uh, so I need to learn a little bit more of that team aspect. But as a solo player, I'm just having fun questing. And Now, are you, are you on Nimrodel? Which server are you playing? I am on Landerval. Okay. Um, but I'm looking at rolling up the character on Nimrodel just to join the, uh, the quarter to three kinship. Well, I will say, Brian, uh, first of all, I think you've picked a great MMO. I mean, World of Warcraft, I I completely appreciate what they're doing, and they do a great job, but there are certain things that I feel are so special about Lord of the Rings Online that other MMOs don't do as well. So uh, kudos for that. The the second thing, though, uh, you are in for such a pleasant surprise once you start to try some grouping stuff. Because one of the, the main dynamics of any good MMO is that it encourages people to group with other players and therefore form a, a social connection to the game that makes it harder for them to drop their subscription fee. Uh, <laughs> so, but, but, but the thing is, though, you know, it behooves any MMO to do that well. And I think Lord of the Rings Online does some great stuff with groups. Um, so uh, you're in for a pleasant surprise when you try that. Uh, do you know about the concept of aggro because it's so counterintuitive and it's such a weird thing 
Um, I'm realizing it it's, as it's happening, you know, when I'm even playing solo, you know, making sure if I'm going up against some tougher tougher mobs to uh, get the isolated ones first and try to pick them off. But it's in, in the group aspect, yeah, it, it's tough because I'll start attracting... Uh, you know, some some big baddie that uh, I really don't want pounding on me. Right. And it's weird, too, because you're thinking you're the DPS guy. You know, you're the, the, the badass hunter with the cool attacks. You should, of course, hit things as hard as you can and try to kill them. But there's this weird dynamic once you start playing in group play that you have to pull your punches. You don't want to hit them too hard. Uh, there's yeah. this whole balancing act with, you know, how hard do you hit them without making them pay attention to you. And there's no real analog to that in... I think most of the kind of RPGs we play, and certainly not in the fantasy worlds that we know. Uh, no, no. I mean, at best, you know, you'll get like a game like Atrian Odyssey 3 where, you know, one of the characters has a skill that will make the monsters just attack him for three turns, which makes more sense when you're the only one playing, but when you're dealing with six other people right. uh, managing all that. Uh, when it's not in your hands is, is interesting so far. So I see that you have then taken a hoplite in your party and you've gotten the provoke ability. Is that correct? In Etrian Odyssey. <laughs> I have a hoplite. I have not picked up the provoke ability yet. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm thinking about it as I, as I start to go down and encounter some foes here in a little bit. It's so useful too, Brian. Like that's been a, a cornerstone for me is, okay, now that I've got this provoke thing, buy awesome armor from my hoplite, and then as soon as I can, get that provoke off. That, I, I love how, and I hate to go back to this, sorry about this, but I love how tactical the combat gets in Etrian Odyssey. When, when you first jump into it, it's easy to mistake it for one of these like JRPGs where you just pick attack and then every now and then cast a spell. Uh, but they do a great job with their, their character trees of, of making cool tactical combat. So, and, oh, yeah, especially when you go down a couple of levels. It, yeah. yeah, it really starts opening up a, a lot. Yeah. Uh, so you've got a level 30 in, I uh, want to go back to Lotro. Uh, where are you in Lotro? What part of the world have you taken your 30 to? Because there's a couple of different approaches you can take when you're in your 20s and 30s. Um, I did most of my 20s in the Lonelands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm nearing kind of the end of that side of things um, and starting to look at what's going on in the, what, North Downs, mm-hmm. I think it's called. Have you been and to Rivendell? I have not. Ah, all right. I'm going to need to make that trek soon uh, for my, one of my, what are they called, professions is a scholar, one of my crafting abilities is a scholar, so I'm going to need to get out there and... Uh, work on my next level there. They have a very, very nice library in Rivendell. Yes. Uh, Excellent. And, and I, I want to say, I don't want to spoil it or hype it too much, but one of the really cool moments in Lord of the Rings Online is your, your first uh, entrance into Rivendell. And a quick tip for you, make sure the music's turned on. I don't know if you normally keep music on or off, but turn the music on when you first go to Rivendell. Uh, so has playing Lord of the Rings Online made you at all curious about other MMOs, or do you think this one will sate you for the time being? For the time being, I think this one will save me. Um, I think it would really take a unique or maybe a very familiar uh, license to draw me into another one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've contemplated looking into EVE Online just because that whole, you make, you know, you kind of make the game yourself. That's 
somewhat appealed to me, but the yeah, I, I didn't didn't get really started on that. And then yeah, I mean I've looked at Wow over the years or some of the other ones, uh, some of the smaller ones, and just managed to resist the siren call of each of them. So we'll see what happens. Do you think you're going to bite when uh, Bioware's Star Wars MMO comes out? I don't. For as much as I love Star Wars, I really don't get that much into playing the games. Uh-huh. Okay. I mean, even uh, I even lost interest in playing uh, Knights of the Old Republic. I finally picked it up at a uh, one of the Steam sales and played it for a bit, and it just I lost interest. Right. Now, do you do you like Bioware's games? Um. Mass yeah. Effect, Dragon Age, did those work for you? I have not played Dragon Age or Mass Effect. Hmm. I'm actually uh, Bioware deficient in my uh, library of <laughs> library of gaming knowledge. <laughs> well, it's, I, I, you know, I can appreciate what Bioware does, but I share your. Uh, like I, I feel like I should be more excited about the the potential of a Star Wars MMO than I am. Uh, but but I'm mainly curious how a company like BioWare translates what they do into that MMO format. So I think I'm more curious about the Star Wars MMO than than excited. Uh, yeah. I'll I'll read about it on the forum and hear people complain and praise it. All right. Right. And uh, go back to uh, shooting things with my bow. <laughs> All right. So now you uh, you said you're born in did you say '78? Yep. So let's see, when the game that we're going to talk about came out, how, how old would you have been? So, so your game of choice is Star Control 2. How old were you when Star Control 2 came out? I would have been, because what, it came out in 92, I think. Okay. 92, 93. Uh, so I would have been, what, 14, 15 maybe? That, that was probably the perfect age for Star Control. Did you play it then, or did you only come across it later? Oh, no, I played it then. I played it then. I, I played the original Star Control, um, and then a buddy of mine, we split the cost of getting Star Control 2 ah. uh, between us. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, that meant I got to keep the discs, but he got the the map that came with it, uh, which is really helpful. And my map was a, a copied version of the map. Um, so, now, how is it that you got the actual disc? Was it like a just a coin flip, or did you put in more money? How, it sounds like you got the better part of the deal. He had to stare at a map uh, the whole time, and he wasn't able to play a game. You could at least put the well, game. Well, you have to play the game we, after we installed it. We just, you know, both installed it on our ah, machines. You guys are filthy pirates. <laughs> uh, we were 13, 14. We didn't know any better. I'll I'm, the every, there. I'm sure everyone did that back then. Exactly. And I bought, what, the game probably two times since then. So uh, I've made up for it. Well, so tell me, obviously, everybody who's played Star Control 2 loves it. Tell me what it is about Star Control 2 that when, when you were asked... Brian, let's sit down and talk for for an hour. What game would you pick? What is it about Star Control 2 that makes you pick that? It's one of those games that kind of, I don't know, for me it has it all. It's got it's got a great story. Uh, you know, if you follow along, it's got a lot of great humor. Uh, it's got the adventuring aspect. You know, I, lo- I love the RPGs, so it's got the, you know, you improve your base ship and... Uh, you know, by the end of the game, you don't even bother using a lot of the other ships because yours is so powerful. Um, you know, the exploration, the combat, of course, uh, is incredible. 
uh, with the with the little spaceships and each of them having their own abilities and uh, special specials that they can do. And I mean, it it truly is if you practice enough, you know, any ship can beat pretty much any other ship in the game. It it really was an exercise in how to design like asymmetry into pretty basic gameplay mechanics. I mean, people talk about StarCraft is great for introducing three unique factions, but but you think about Star Control 2, how, how, how they balanced all these little ships. And I don't know, there must have been, were there 10? Do you know offhand how many little ships they had there? 20-something? Wow, wow. But they, it, it, it was such a great example of asymmetrical design, how they all had different abilities. And, and there was a sense, now if I'm not mistaken, when you would play head-to-head, wouldn't you pick, th- is it three ships? You oh. could, well, you could set basically a point total for how many ah. each ship was worth a couple of different points. So, you know, you and your buddy could agree that you spend, you know, 200 points or less on your ships. Right, right, um, right. And then, you know, you could pick some of the, you know, the really expensive Urquan ship and try to uh, blast them out that way. But uh, a balanced team always worked the best. Now, so when you're a kid, uh, do you think you really appreciated how good it was? Or uh, is Star Control 2 something that it's only later that you look back on it and you see how well it holds up that you could really get a sense for what a special game it was? Um, I would say, I, I don't know, I, I at the time, I felt it was pretty special. I mean, it was, it was a game I played for months and months. Um, you know, back back in the in the good old days, we didn't have the interweb to uh, to help us get through tricky situations. So I mean, you, it was the good old take notes and you know talk with your friends about what they've discovered and how far they've gotten. And so it would take you a while to get through the games in a lot more ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, you know, I'd, I'd play with my friend and and a super melee, and we, you know, but that lasted for much longer than even just playing the, the core game did was uh, playing Super Melee against each other. Uh, what was your favorite ship? Uh, I always loved the, um, the the little Spothy ship. Oh, gosh, yeah, the Spothy, wow. <laughs> Describe that for us. It, it looks like a, a bunch of multicolored Tinker Toys yeah. put together, <laughs> and it's got a, a dinky little gun that does basically no damage but it's quick and one of its little main features is it fires a little missile uh a rear-facing missile so you can be running away from uh from your opponent but still attacking them wow now now wasn't there also a ship the one that i'm remembering liking the most because it was so cool how you could grief the other player with it and you're gonna have to refresh my memory on this but wasn't there <laughs> a vaguely phallic ship for like a siren race that would yes. lure their crew out of their ship or something. Yes, yes, the uh, siren penetrators. <laughs> so it was okay. the name of the ship. So it wasn't. I guess it was intentionally phallic, and 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 they had a, me- a mechanism, right, where they would lure the crew out of enemy ships. Yep, yep, that was it. Special is it would lure. You could basically rebuild up your crew uh, by. Uh, by luring him from your opponent. And and I seem to recall crew was like a 
like an important resource. Like some of the ships, like the Spathy or maybe the Pekunk or whatever, would have very few crew members versus like an Urakan ship. Uh, like it was, was it like hit points? Yeah, basically once your once your crew is gone, uh, your ship was dead. Um, so yeah, different different ships had different abilities. Uh, regarding crew, what was one of the races? The uh, the Drudge. They what their special ability was you could sacrifice a crew member to regain your you know your ship's energy for firing faster. Ah. Because otherwise it would go really really slow. So you could sacrifice your a crew member basically to uh, to regain all your energy quickly. And now, now wasn't it also the case, Brian, that when you're playing these these melee games with these different ships and the races, that they've all got additional character because you've played the single player campaign and you've got this sort of narrative context for who they are and why they are the way they are. You, you've met them before. Uh, oh yeah. So so talk a little bit about that. What uh, so so the story mode. You're not one of the races, are you? Like, aren't you just a human navigating the different races to unite them against the Urkhan? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, basic, quick beginning of the game, you were kind of an abandoned human colony that finds a ancient races what, shipbuilding complex, and you, uh, you get off the planet in this, this ancient ship and go back to Earth and discover that Earth has been conquered and has a big slave shield around it, and the only humans you have contact with are these people who were up in a space station. And uh, you go out contacting races and trying to get them on your side to uh, take on the the Urquan and save the galaxy from uh, destruction. And was it non-linear? Like, could you go through, do you know offhand, could you go through the different races in any order, or did the game guide you in terms of when you would add different races to your ship? It guides you a little bit at the beginning, and mostly it gives you hints. Um, it, you know, it'll say, hey, we've been hearing, we've got a distress signal from this planet, or we've been getting, we've received some interesting radiation from this system, you should go check it out. Um, you know, kind of giving you encouragement on where you should go. Mm-hmm. Um, but once once you build up your ship a little bit, you can visit races in any order. Um, you know, you don't even have to visit all the races, and it becomes pretty nonlinear. And and there's a lot of quests. I guess quests would be a good way to say it, but a lot of different ways you can tackle some of the the plot points. Can you give examples? Do you, do you remember any examples of that? There's a part to some sort of device that you need to get and there's from I'm trying to remember exactly how it went but there's a couple ways you can acquire the part um, you know one involves basically selling off I think some of your crew for the part hmm. um, so you can take that tack or you can go somewhere else and find something that this this alien wants and give it to him so you can get the part um, but yeah there's a, there's a couple a couple of ways like um, there's a race called the Pekunk who are you know, some sort of ancestors to uh, another race and uh, you can they keep trying to go visit this more warlike race even though they're pretty peaceful and you can keep talking them back to their home planet so they don't get annihilated because <laughs> if you let them go they'll just disappear until you know you win the game 
Uh, and I seem to recall interacting with the races had just these wonderful little jokey, like, cutscene, like, dialogues uh, between the races. Like, they were so well-realized, not just with the, the artwork and the music, but even with the writing, right? The Yeah, the writing was great. Um, one of my favorite parts. I mean, it really did pay to actually, you know, instead of skipping most of it and looking for keywords and your quickest way through the, uh, the dialogue <laughs> trees. I mean, they offered... They offered, you know, jokey answers you could give, um, and you'd get responses that were kind of fun. Um, and just the dialogue with some of the races, which it was just hilarious. Now, is it possible to play Star Control 2 these days? Isn't there uh, uh, an open source remake for the PC? Do you know offhand? Yes, yes. Um, what Toys for Bob, the guys behind... Star Control 2, uh, they managed to somehow get the source code for the 3DO version huh? of the game, and they open-sourced that. And so basically now, yeah, you can play the game on any number of systems, um, and it plays really, really great, really, really great. Now, so you music and mm-hmm. everything. Have you, you tried it recently? Have you taken a look at it? Uh, not in probably about maybe a year or so, but okay. I I pick it up every every little bit and play it a, a little while again. But it's a full build. Like right now, there's no reason for someone to have to hunt down eBay for a copy of it. Like right now, there's a place I can go, download it, and be playing Star Control 2 for all intents and purposes, right? Exactly. I think it's what, urquanmasters.com? That's lovely. No, no uh, do you know a bit about... Uh, Toys for Bob. Are you familiar with the stuff they did uh, before Star Control 2? Um, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, they they have done a lot of fun stuff. They're, I know nowadays they do more of the, the licensed games, um, but they they did a lot of fun, fun games in the past. I remember did- playing some did you know Archon? Like Archon was a, it was like the the days before graphics, pretty much. But uh, yeah, oh yeah, it, it was no, like a, a chessboard, and you move pieces around, and then when they're on the same square, rather than just capturing one or the other, like in Star Control Two, you play a little battle. Uh, oh yeah, we buddy of mine, we played that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, now let me let me throw another one at you. What about the Unholy War? I have not. Okay, what I'm going to do for you right now, Brian, listen to this right here. I want you to listen to this. Did you hear that? Yes. That was a copy of The Unholy War, and if you'll allow me to gloat briefly, <laughs> that I have here that is signed by Paul Reich III and Fred Ford, who are the main uh, Toys for Bob dudes. I, I got to meet them when I was doing a preview for this. They, they're doing a, they were doing a Madagascar branded game, uh, like you say. They do a lot of licensed things nowadays. Uh, but I got the, to meet them, and I, I have only done this three times in my life. I brought along with me a cop, my copy of Unholy War, and I was like, "Would, would you guys sign this? <laughs> this is such a prized possession of mine. It's the kind of thing where, you know, if, if the house is burning down." First, I get the cat, but then after that, you know, make sure to get my signed copy of Unholy War. <laughs> this is yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so Unholy War, and I remember talking to them about it, and just this whole idea of because Unholy War was the same kind of thing. You had these really cool little creatures, and you would move them around on a little hex grid, and when two of them would meet, you would play this really cool fighting game, very much based on asymmetry, uh, a lot like Star Control Two. 
Uh, and I remember talking to him about it, and I forget if it was Fred or Paul, but one of them saying that their their whole angle was, was just weird things beating each other up. That that right there makes for for a, a great game design. Uh, Definitely. Uh, and and so here's here's what I'm curious about, Brian. So they do Archon, they do Star Control one and two, they do Unholy War. It's such a specific kind of game, you know, where you've got a, a kind of a strategic framework and then these cool asymmetrical battles. What would you say is the contemporary version of that kind of gameplay, or is there anything? I've been searching, and I'm sure there will be a bunch of people on the forum who can point us to some, um, but there doesn't seem to be any. Yeah, like that model, I guess it didn't it didn't take, or it just uh, you you would think that would be such an established way to to play video games, but yeah. So I I'm just always surprised that someone hasn't come out with a a Star Control Super Melee style game for Xbox Live Arcade. Yeah. Something. Oh. Just, you could do something like that, and oh. I would love it. I don't have an Xbox 360, but that would probably get me to buy one. Uh, Brian, that's painful to hear you mention that, because, yes, how cool would that be? Star Control 2 on Xbox Live Arcade. Yeah. Oh. Thanks, or, for, uh, thanks for breaking my heart, Brian. Nice move. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it seems like it'd be something that, you know, one of those one of those people would, some indie developer would, you know, pick something along those lines and... You recreate it and balance it out really well. You know what you say that, Brian, but I think forget some indie developer, just Toys for Bob. Have them do it. I mean, there's got to be some income. You know, I wonder, though, is there some complication with the the license? Like, I know the SourceForge guys did this free version, but is is it a licensing thing, do you think? I don't know. Yeah, they do. Well, they don't own the name Star Control. But somehow they're able to still release the game with all of its assets and every other name intact. So I think just the name for the series itself is still under who probably what Atari owns it now, I think. Now, now as I'm sure you know, Brian, there never was a Star Control 3. Am I correct? Oh, absolutely not. Worst 40, 50 bucks I've spent on a game ever. Yeah, except there's no such game, so you didn't spend the money. Yeah, it never no, it happened. It, was, it yeah. never happened. It's a shame nobody ever made a Star Control 3. It's a shame that Accolade didn't, for instance, do that. That just, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> you actually bought Star Control 3. Oh, yeah. Well, I love Star Control 2. Star Control I know, 2. I know. There's no reason not to, is there? Until, like, with the benefit of hindsight, you would know better. But, uh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, it just changed so much of the game for the worse. It had live-action puppets, though, didn't it? I can't help but, but think that must have been... Yeah, it was weird. in that weird phase when puppets and claymation was all the rage for developers to do before they could really do full-on 3D models well, I think. And it wasn't Toys for Bob, if I'm not mistaken, was it? If, if no, it was an accolade. Okay. It was an accolade developed one. Ouch, yeah. Well, it's a good thing that never happened. That We dodged that bullet. <laughs> oh, did you ever hear about the uh, the unreleased PlayStation Star Control game? No, what's this? They were working on a basically a Wing Commander-style game, but titled Star Control. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, from what I've gathered, I even emailed some of the developers back in the day about it because, you know, being a Star Control nerd, um, basically, yeah, the game was just terrible. 
And it had nothing uh, to do with Star Control. It was just using the name. It was using well. It had some of the same races, okay. but other than that, it was you know Wing Commander flight, you know arcade flighty space game. Oh, like you're even you're not even. It's not the cool overhead stuff. Like it's it's trying to be like a, an action sim kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. Where you're you know you're in the cockpit flying around. Right. Yeah. 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 I'm glad that never happened. Uh, yeah, exactly. Just let it let it lie. So I have a couple of things that I'm wondering if you think might be latter day versions of, of Star Control. Like these might fill for some people the niche that Star Control would have satisfied. Let, let me ask you about a couple of these. I don't know much about Pokemon, but I'm wondering if that whole weird things beating each other up dynamic is maybe what makes Pokemon work for kids. Oh, I think it's just the whole collecting thing that works for kids. Yeah, I guess so. Does Ash play Pokemon, <laughs> though? Is Ash a Pokemon fan? Uh, not yet. I've avoided that. Okay. But um, he can name you, you know, it, it, like all kids do, they just absorb, you know, anything that they're into, and so he can name practically every Star Wars character there is. It's, uh, uh I over... If you get it wrong. Oh, rats. I had someone on the podcast, and I feel awful now because I can't remember exactly who it was. Uh, I forgot. But anyway, he put it so well when he mentioned that, that kids just love that, that taxonomy, you know, classifying different things. Uh, that that's oh, such, yeah. a, such an important part of a, a – and I don't know if it's a boy thing. I was going to say a young boy is like uh, the, the way his brain grows. Um, but I remember that, and I, I still kind of have that too. Oh, I, I think it kind of, yeah, definitely sticks with us. We like to collect and organize and have everything just so. And uh, games really, really feed to that. Successful ones right. do. Uh, all right, well, let me throw another one at you. So the King's Bounty series reminds me a bit of Star Control in that it's it's nowhere near as cleverly written or well-realized because it feels like generic fantasy stuff. But you're moving around on a map, uh, which is kind of like, you know, a universe. It's fantasy-themed, though. And when you come to a battle, you fight a more tactical battle. Now, it's a turn-based battle, um, but it's still some of those weird things beating each other up kind of dynamic. I, I wonder if maybe that has a bit of, like, a latter-day Star Control 2 feel. I have not played... The newer King's Bounty, mm-hmm. so I can only go back to you know the original or uh, you know say it's what successor that Heroes of Might and Magic. But having those different units and the different ways it could pick them up, I mean, I guess I could kind of see that where you know no battle is necessarily the same just because of all that you all the different ways you can approach it. Right. Right. Uh, and then in some RTSs, they have tried this idea of... Because one of the things I remember in Star Control... Actually, maybe this was one, Brian. But I remember a 3D map of stars that you could turn around and see the different ways they were connected. And you would move your ships around on that 3D map. Do you, do you know offhand if that was one or two? That was one. Okay. Uh, part of Yeah, it's it's kind of a story campaign. It didn't have much of a story, but yeah... 
It's storyline which is that. I distinctly remember you could do that multiplayer, and I remember with friends playing where you know you're moving your ships and you can see, if I recall correctly, you can see what ship is at what star, and and you can sort of position, try to play the paper rock scissors of the asymmetry against the other player on this strategic map. Uh, Definitely. And and as as a strategy gamer, I love that aspect of it, and and that in a way kind of reminds me of a very small handful of real-time strategy games that give you this idea of a strategic map where you move forces around and then when they fight you play a real-time strategy battle and unfortunately there aren't many games like that the total war series kind of tries to do it but there was a star wars game called empire at war they did that mm-hmm. uh and the second battle for middle earth 2 the lord of the rings rts kind of tried to do that so for me that whole recollection of playing star control 1 on that 3d map uh, and Unholy War was great about that as well, as you moved around on hexes. This idea that here you've got a strategic layout, you move your little units around, and then when they fight, it's a, a little tactical battle. That that recalls for me a little bit of the Archon Star Control vibe. Um, are you an RTS guy, by the way? Um, <laughs> strategy games and I have an odd relationship. But they're games that I wish I was good at, mm-hmm. but... Uh, just horrible at whenever I play. I mean, RTSs I'm a little bit better at just because you can kind of brute force them almost a little bit more. <laughs> right. But uh, when it comes to something like Civ or, uh, you know, more, you know, Masters of Orion or what was uh, uh, Galactic Civilizations 2, I just end up getting. Uh, Unless it's on the most simple level or, you know, one up from there, I end up getting just steamrolled by the AI. Right, right. Yeah. That's okay. I'm, I'm kind of jealous of you, Brian, because I, uh, it, it's nice to not like all genres. It gives you much more time to play the ones that you do like. <laughs> I, I, well, it's a genre I wish, you know, it's one of those genres I wish I knew better. I, I guess I wish I could devote the time to understand some of the games better. Right, right. Um, you know, like... For you're a you're a Unowar fan on on the uh, iPhone. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's a game. You know, it's one of the first strategy games where I've had the chance through a lot of play to actually understand some of the, the balances and uh, the different units and how to play them against each other. So it's been fun, kind of realizing, oh, okay, so this is what those games are about. Yeah, Unowar is a very tactically demanding game, Brian. If you're playing Unowar. I don't think you can say you suck at strategy games anymore. Uh, well, my record would probably probably say differently. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Who who on quarter to three have you played against? Any of those guys? Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm in uh, a bunch of group games, and then uh, Denny A and I play a lot of games against each other. You know, infrequently we'll we'll ping each other maybe two or three games and kind of have those going, test out different strategies on different maps and. Uh, Okay, let me, both got started around the same time. Let me give you a pro tip. Avoid any games with Dave Long or Crazy Croc, uh, whose name is Adam. Those guys are way too good. Don't let them trick you into playing with them, just so you know. Unless they're on my team. Oh, good point. There you go. <laughs> if you can swing that, you're sitting pretty. Yeah. This is why I start up games sometimes. <laughs> How do I balance these teams this week? Uh, you mentioned that Ash likes Angry Birds. Uh, what else have you have you been playing on your iPhone? Oh, by um, the way, by the way, I wonder what 
would it be possible, like, because of the way Star Control 2 could do that scrolling in and out, depending on how far the two guys were apart from each other, I wonder if there could be a Star Control 2 on the iPhone. There was, there was a rumor of it for a while. There was some company that was working on it, said they'd submitted it to Apple and everything, and then it just disappeared. Oh, what? Yeah, so I do not know what happened to it, but... Uh, all right. So what else do I play? Yeah, what else do you like? Uh, Defender Chronicles. Mm-hmm. That consumed me for quite some time. That's You know what, Brian? That might be a strategy game. Yeah, good tower <laughs> defense, kind of. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm good with tower defense. Space Miner was fun. Oh, there you go. Uh, almost a uh, start control, too. Like. Yeah, I can see that. I can definitely see that. With kind of the, the dynamic, the, the whole action feel of the ship drifting around as you shoot. Space Miner, that's a good call. Just as far as, like, the feel of the gameplay, that Space Miner does have some star control, too. Yeah. What are those guys uh, doing next? Haven't they announced, uh, is it some kind of roguelike, or, uh, ah, forget yeah. it. Yeah. They know something that looked great. Yeah, I, w- I would love to see the dynamics of Space Miner in a star control 2 form, like, explorable universe going around in different areas. Those guys, I think, would do a great job with that. Ninja Town Trees of Doom? You know what? I've heard people mention that. What the heck is that? Uh, good question. <laughs> Are you playing it? No. Oh, no oh. I'm just, I just looked up their website here real oh. quick. And <laughs> addictive climbing gameplay. So it sounds like it's one of those uh, jumping up a vertical tree and attacking enemies along the ways or something. i, I got to say, I cannot think of anything I would rather less play than one of those kind of things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't think that one would be going on mine. All right. Uh, okay, so what game's coming out? We're at the verge right now of our our fall season. You know, all the holiday releases coming out. As far as I'm concerned, the big holiday season starts... I guess you could argue it started with Halo Reach, but forget Halo Reach. To my mind, the big holiday season starts this Tuesday with the release. You said you don't have a 360, right? Correct. Now, well, how are you going to play Dead Rising 2? Um, vicariously through everyone else on the board, I guess. <laughs> all right. Well, so the, the big fall season starts, all these holiday releases coming out. What are you looking forward to most that's coming up? Good question. Um... Not much, sadly. Come on, you're an RPG guy. Fallout New Vegas? I love the old Fallouts, but unfortunately my uh, PC has not got the juice to be able to run Fallout ah, 3. Okay. okay. Um, so, some of the, basically in, in a lot of the modern PC RPGs, I, I get them a couple years late uh, before I can really get into them. So I you know, just started up Oblivion maybe a few months ago just to try to get into that, just because I finally was able to, uh, the machine finally was able to take it. Oh, well, wait, Brian, if you just started Oblivion, you're not going to have any time this holiday to be playing something else. <laughs> well, I got distracted by, you know, other other such games like Dragon Quest Nine and now, of course, Lord of the Rings Online. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you don't have time for new games. You've got Oblivion and Lotro to play. <laughs> what am I thinking? <laughs> it's going to keep me busy, but... Yeah, I mean, uh... I'll probably pick up something around in that time frame. I don't know. Don't know what or what'll 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 end up being. Right. But uh, yeah, uh, I haven't even 
what what is coming out that's uh, on your your hit list here? What is coming out uh, that I'm looking forward to? Uh, well, Fallout New Vegas, Dead Rising. I kind of have like from where I'm sitting, you know, I'm looking out into the next few months, and all I can see. It's like looming in my view. It's this big, fat, dead rising box. <laughs> like I'm so into the, the zombie genre and their particular approach to it uh, that that's kind of a huge blind spot for me. But certainly Fallout New Vegas, uh, you know, Obsidian, um, they've, they've had some tough times, but I really like the approach that Obsidian takes, and I'm, I'm eager to see what they do with, with the Fallout universe. Um, what other things am I looking forward to? Yeah, yeah, you're not supposed to ask me because now I'm on the spot. I can't. I have to look at my list. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, oh, crap. I got to figure out what 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 I do want to play here. It's coming. Well, that is, you know, it. I've heard some people say that this coming holiday season looks a little anemic, and I'm I'm kind of inclined to agree. I mean, there's stuff I'm looking forward to, but we've had a great year. I mean, it seems to me that the industry isn't so much uh, holiday season heavy anymore. I mean, there's still that push. Uh, Companies still know that's where they make a lot of their money. But it just seems that as a whole, the industry is doing a much better job of spreading out great releases over the course of the year rather than just clumping them uh, during the holiday season. So while I'm looking forward to stuff, you know, there's still stuff that just came out that I still adore uh, and and would just as soon spend time with those. Definitely. I mean, my... I guess my bigger releases were, you know, Dragon Quest Nine and Atrium Odyssey Three for the summertime here, so I hadn't really even looked towards the fall and right, and right. later to see it was coming. Now, now I hate to do this to you, but do you, do you have a PSP? I do not. Ah, you're safe. Okay, because I really, really love. Uh, and you're an RPG guy, so I know you would appreciate these as well. I really love this action RPG that just came out for the PSP called uh, Cladden. Um, mm. And it's from uh, Nippon Ichi. And, and in a month, they're releasing another one called ZHP. And I don't, it stands for a Zentai Hero Project. But they're these weird, funky little RPGs imported from Japan um, that, I, that I just adore. I love, I've been playing versions of both of those, and I'm a huge fan of those. But you don't have a PSP, so you don't have to worry. You're, you're good with Ichi and Odyssey. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, no, I like, uh, I do like the action RPGs, especially some of the ones that they have been producing these i've seen some of them like the the uh the recent yes game that just got released on the psp yeah what do you know what do you know about that because i i I, it's one of those words that i see the word and i my eyes just sort of gloss over i can't tell one east from the other uh so that that's an action rpg for the psp that just came out and you've heard good things about it uh i've heard it's a little wordy at times but it you know maintains the whole kind of action RPG tradition that they do, and it ends up being a, a pretty fun game. I know that's right. a word you like, like to use when describing games, but... Uh, I'm okay with using it colloquially, just so you know. That was a it's perfectly an enjoyable legitimate. game. It's an enjoyable <laughs> gaming experience. There we go. Uh, being, being described as wordy kind of scares me. Uh, that, that's, I, just, I, I lose so much patience sitting through like long cutscenes that I don't care about. Uh, yeah, I think it's wordy in the JRPG tradition. Yeah. Uh, so, all right. Uh, I will be. Is there any multiplayer stuff? I know that you can do co-op stuff with Etrian Odyssey Three, but it's not supported unless you're in the same room with someone. Do you know offhand if that's correct? That is correct. I was yeah. just reading that earlier. All right. And you can you can yeah take a party member and go adventuring with somebody else. It looks like. Well, you're just gonna have to come down to LA, Brian. 
No, you're going to have to come down to Shoe Club. <laughs> you are. Anytime you're down here on a Thursday night, uh, be sure to let me know. So, All right, Brian, I'm going to ask you. I don't know if you're ready for this. You can't be. There's no way to be ready for this. Because I'm about to ask you a completely random question that has nothing whatsoever with anything that we've talked about. Bring it on. Okay. You know what? I kind of lied because this isn't a question. This is a statement. <laughs> uh, this, is, uh, this is the, uh, yeah, here we go. Tell me about your favorite chair. Ooh. There, when I uh, went to college, I ended up getting assigned a roommate who was a sophomore, so he was a year older than me because his roommate decided not to, his you know, roommate he had chosen was not coming back, The uh, decided not to come back. So he already kind of had some dorm stuff, and he had a great, really comfy, ugly, ugly green chair. <laughs> but it was the most comfortable thing in the world. I can recall many an hour spent reading, watching movies, or just kind of sitting on that thing, even napping. Um, and after after he left, I just kind of ended up inheriting it, and it, it traveled from... Uh, to house to house and apartment to apartment for a while before finally uh, being retired to some, I think actually I just left it at a house that uh, I moved out at one time. Oh no, it's <laughs> poor chair. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't fit in the new place I was moving and uh, it was it was time to let it go. I was moving on. Because you know that a chair like that, you can't, uh, oh, yeah, it comes along it once in a lifetime. Yeah. I wish for it now. I would have it straight and center in front of the TV and it make playing a lot easier. Your uh, your story made me think of. Uh, have you seen Night of the Living Dead by any chance? The original one. Uh, only bits and pieces. So early on, uh, there's like a couple of zombies that are besieging the house, um, and the hero starts like spraying lighter fluid around, and you're like, what is he doing? And he's talking to another character, but he's he's rigging up some sort of what looks like it's going to be an elaborate zombie trap. Uh, you're just, you're just, you're, you telling me about this chair made me think of this. And what did it, what he ends up doing, uh, because the zombies are afraid of fire, is he soaks, he just sprays lighter fluid on this chair and then kicks it out in front of the house and <laughs> throws a torch on it and makes a chair bonfire to scare off the zombies or to, to keep them at, at, at bay. Uh, and I thought what it, it's sort of like the, the Viking's funeral for a fantastic chair. You know, what, what, it's like being floated out to sea and set on fire. What, what better finale for a chair than to be pushed out the house while you're burning to fend off the zombies? Uh, I think so. Instead of just abandoning it and leaving it behind to uh, fend for itself with whatever have you seen, people in the house. Have you seen Toy Story 2, Brian? I have. You know that really sad montage where Jesse, the cowgirl doll, talks about uh, being left behind? That's your <laughs> oh, yeah. chair. So there's, there's somewhere right now, your chair is recounting that montage to another piece of furniture. I hope you're happy. Uh, yeah, but who's playing Stinky Pete? Is that like the, uh, <laughs> the mint condition Ikea futon or something? Yeah, exactly. Or an end table or something that hasn't even yeah. been put together. Right. I, I think we're on to a, a furniture story script. Let's get on that. <laughs> exactly. We can pitch it to, uh, pitch to Pixar. <laughs> well, Brian, I, I'm so glad you picked Star Control 2. I, I have not thought about that game in a while. It's one of those things that uh, I just, I, I loved that thing and 
there's just no real counterpart for it these days. It's uh, it's unfortunately this this dead end genre that really shouldn't have died. Uh, it's kind of sad, but I'm glad you picked that to talk about. So good on you. Ton of fun. We need more space exploration games. Absolutely. So all right, Brian, thank you for hanging out with me. Uh, I oh so anybody uh, who wants to go into the drawing with you, Brian, for a free game, there will be a, a post in everything else commanding you imploring you, making it incumbent upon you to tell me about your favorite chair. If you post in this thread and you specify the color of your chair, we've used that gimmick before, so as long as you specify the color of the chair, uh, you will go into the drawing. Uh, I like the fact that your chair is green, Brian. I'm imagining all these, like, ugly... kind of a disco green. I mean, it was literally a good 70s disco greeny chair. That's even that's even better than what I was imagining. I like that. <laughs> uh, it was it was terrible. And and uh, for people who win, when Tom says he's got a, a stack of really awful games to send you, he's not kidding around. Have you won one? Oh yeah, I won some sort of wee chicken tosser game or something <laughs> like that. You sent me. It was it was horrible. <laughs> you actually put it in and tried it. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I, great. I, I might as well try it. I think most of these, and I'm totally cool with this, I, I'm guessing that most of these go to like a credit at GameStop for, for you know, four bucks or whatever towards an actual game. Uh, I get four bucks from GameStop for this one. They're like, mm, <laughs> we'll pay you two bucks to keep it. <laughs> wow, a chicken tossing game. Uh, yeah, all right. Something like that. I can't remember the name exactly, but it was... Definitely one of the Wii shovelware games. Yeah, and I have so many more of those. So people who win, uh, there's a special place in heaven for you if you win and specify the Wii as as your platform of choice. All right, well, Brian, thank you for hanging out. It was awesome to get to meet you. Uh, Come to L.A. some Thursday, bring your DS, and let's go sailing in Etrian Odyssey 3. All right, bring it on. All right. Uh, everyone else post in, tell me about your favorite chair. Uh, if you are listening, I I don't know that I've, I've made this clear in the past, but if you're listening to the podcast and you want to come on, then look for a thread on the forum called, I think, QT3 Games Podcast Master List, uh, and post your name down there. I would be happy to put you in the queue or send me an email at tomchick at quarter2three.com, and I'd love to have you. This podcast is is open to to anyone, um, and feel free to join the queue. So, Brian, thanks for hanging out, and we will be seeing you around uh, on the forum. Sounds perfect. Take care. All right, bye-bye.